Welcome to CityGraceNY.com. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at City Grace Church. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, once again, we ask you that you would meet us here, that we would be able to encounter you face to face, that knowing you would not be just an abstract thought or theory, but that we would know you on an intimate level and know the peace that you can give us. God, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say through your word, through the prophet Isaiah, especially as we think about the birth of your son, Jesus, and how the birth of your son was something that was prophesied many, many years ago, and how you are true to your promises and true to your word at all times. And God, we thank you for that, and we pray, God, that you would just warm our hearts, warm our hearts with your peace. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as some of you know, we are continuing our Advent series. We have talked about hope, love, joy, and finally peace. And then Tuesday night, if you're able to join us, we will talk about Christ. And again, this this season of Advent is really leading up to Christmas and preparing us for Christmas because by nature, our our hearts are are filled with so many different things in life. Our hearts are filled with anxieties and worries and schedules and plans and there's so many things, especially in the Christmas season, where, where we're too busy, we're too frantic, we're too worried, and, and as a result, there's really not a lot of space in our hearts to really understand, comprehend, meditate on what Christmas is truly about, which is Jesus. So we've been looking at, the last couple of weeks, these, these different themes oriented around the birth of Jesus. So looking at hope and what that means as a result of the birth of Jesus. Love, joy, and now finally peace. So this morning we look at really one of the most well-known passages around the birth of Jesus. And it's a prophecy in the book of Isaiah talking about this figure called the Messiah. And this figure that is prophesied about that is supposed to be the Messiah, we later learn in the Gospels, is Jesus himself. So this, this phrase, the, the names of the Messiah, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So this Messiah is supposed to bring a sense of peace as the Prince of Peace to individuals, to the world, and in a way that nothing else in this world can really bring about. So as we think about peace and we look at this passage in Isaiah, we're going to be talking about the lack of peace, our search for peace, and then lastly, the Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The, the lack of peace, our search for peace, and then lastly, Jesus, our Prince of Peace. So if you have been following the news this past week, the top news story was that President Trump was impeached. The President of the United States, President Trump being the third president in the history of the United States, being impeached by the House of Representatives on Wednesday for abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. And this means that he could potentially face removal by the Senate sometime in 2020. So some people think, of course, that President Trump is a self-professed Christian leading there in the White House and really is on the path toward making America great again. On the other hand, many Christians really believe that President Trump is 
giving Christians a bad name with his uh, immoral behavior and, and character and really hasn't shown himself to be fit for the office of the President of the United States. Some of you may have also heard about um, an article that was published in Christianity Today. Christianity Today, for those of you who don't know, is a, a popular evangelical magazine. And also this past week, in light of President Trump's impeachment, uh, an op-ed article was published by Christianity Today by his editor-in-chief, Mark Galley. And the title of the article was, Trump Should Be Removed from Office. So this op-ed, written by the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, titled, Trump Should Be Removed from Office. And um, as the interviews went on later in the week, uh, Galley said that on Thursday night, the magazine had 17,000 people reading the website, when a typical moment, the site might have about 400 people. And uh, in the past, when they've had perhaps a, a hot article that people had been picking up on, they said that they had usually had maybe like three or 4,000 people reading the article. But the editor-in-chief, commenting on how many people were, were drawn to this article about Trump being removed from office, had well over 17,000 people reading the article, so much so that it crashed the servers and that people who were trying to access the link and read the article were actually not able to access it, which explained a lot to me because I was trying to read the article and I was like, what's up? Apparently the servers had crashed because so many people were trying to read this article, reading about a Christian perspective saying that Trump should be removed from office. So no doubt, just this past week, right, we see clear examples of how the country is polarized and divided. And in many ways, right, we might say that our country is not experiencing a level of peace and prosperity because of the division, namely the political division that we are all living in in the United States in 2019 and obviously into 2020. So the, these partisan politics, right, where we have Republicans on one side and Democrats on the other side and really not a lot of uh, bipartisan buy-in for, for a lot of political avenues, it's, it's very difficult for, for the country to deal with very important issues like healthcare, immigration, religious freedom, the environment, uh, terrorism, and, and the list goes on. All of these, all of these issues are, are hot-button issues. There are issues on which people cast their votes on, and it just seems that it's becoming increasingly difficult to get any type of consensus or unity in which there can be a greater sense of, of peace and prosperity for the entire country. Now, regardless of, of your political persuasion, the point, the point is this, that, that many of us, many of you, look to the human government to bring about a peace that only the Messiah can bring. That we look to political leaders, namely very high-level political leaders like the President of the United States, right, to bring about a peace that we want, but a peace that no leader can give. So whether you believe it's Donald Trump or you believe it's anybody but Donald Trump, Right? We have a sense in which we believe that if only, if only that one leader would be in charge and he didn't have any people from the opposite party 
fighting against him or her, that things can finally get done in the country and that the country would have a, an amazing amount of success and go back to the way that things might have been in the past. So we have this desire and we have this, this default way of thinking that if only we have this political leader, whether in the presidency or at the Senate level or at the House of Representatives, we think if we only have these leaders, we can finally experience the peace that we've all been desiring. And when we look at the prophet Isaiah, we see that the peace that we ultimately desire can never be found in any type of human government, but only the government that the Messiah brings. Only the government that the Messiah brings. So Isaiah had been looking to, Isaiah is talking about how the people of God, Israel, have been looking and yearning, right, for this sense of peace. This sense of peace because at the time, the people of God had these promises from God. God promised Abraham that through his descendants, all nations would be blessed. God also promised through David and his throne that as a result of David's throne that there would be salvation for the entire world. And by Isaiah's time, the descendants of Abraham and, and many members of the, the dynasty of David, they looked at how God was working and they said to themselves that God told us one thing and now another thing is happening. That, that God made promises to his people and now, by all accounts, looking at their, their world, they didn't see evidence of God working. Right? So, so there's, there's this, this dissonance. There's this divide. There's this chasm between what God said and what was happening. And in, from their perspective, they didn't match up. God wasn't being true to his word. He wasn't fulfilling what he said he was going to fulfill. So the people of God become impatient. Right, they're, they're like looking at their uh, proverbial watches, saying like, what's up, God? Like, there's, there's, no, there's no peace. There's no prosperity. Our, our enemies are assailing us on, on every side. Our people are, are floundering. So they begin to search for a peace because they're not finding it in God. Despite all of the goodness of God, despite all of the, the miracles that God had performed for them, despite all the ways that God had broken them out of slavery and liberated them, they still had a sense that they did not have an, an internal sense of peace nor an external sense of peace. So what did they do? They became impatient and they went out and tried to find this peace by themselves. So, again, many of you know about this very famous passage in the book of Isaiah talking about how this Messiah was going to be this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One of the most well-known prophecies about Jesus himself. But if we look at a couple of verses before this well-known prophecy, it's, a, it's kind of strange, but this is... This is what it says in chapter 8, that when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf 
of the living. So, in chapter 8, it says that people, the people of God, who were trying to follow God and be faithful to God, in searching for this peace that they didn't find in God himself, started looking for peace elsewhere. So where do they look for it? Well, according to Isaiah, they were consulting mediums. They were consulting spiritists or other spirits. And Isaiah is saying, if you're the people of God, shouldn't you be consulting God? Now today, perhaps some of us have also inquired, searched for peace, not in God, but perhaps outside of God. Perhaps um, you yourself, perhaps maybe have had your fortune told. Maybe you've gone to um, a psychic or um, had a, a palm reading. Maybe you've had um, a tarot card reading. Uh, perhaps you've played a, a Ouija board, read your horoscope. All of those things fall under what the prophet Isaiah is telling the people of God not to do. So, why do people, you know, look at a crystal ball, have their fortune told reading, go to a psychic? Because people are looking for peace. They're looking for answers in life. Just on my street, on, on Clinton Street, every time I walk my dog, I walk my dog to, to a certain area, and almost every time that I walk my dog, I have to pass by um, a psychic. And there's a part of me that wonders, like, who, who goes to a psychic? Like, who, who would want to know so, so desperately about the future that they would pay $10 to have, have their palm read or something like that? And actually, quite often, I, I see someone in there trying to either talk to someone that is perhaps dead, having their palm read, something related to the horoscope. There, there are many people, and perhaps many of us, have at times searched out these different sources of knowledge or power that are not derived from God himself. Um, even on TV, some of you may have seen TV shows talking about this very topic, which is, some of you may have heard about a, a show that's not, not on the air anymore, but it was a show called Crossing Over with John Edward. Crossing Over, and the whole show was about people who wanted to talk to some of their relatives who had deceased. And so this medium would try to broker these conversations between people who are now alive with people who have passed away. Or I think uh, this show is currently on the air on cable, but it's called Long Island Medium. So right here in New York, there is, of course, many mediums, but this one medium happens to have their own TV show. I haven't watched it myself, but I I've seen some of the commercials that right here, not too far from here, is a medium who has their own TV shows, again, trying to access spirits and powers outside of God. Why? Because there's a desire for, for peace, for knowing the future, for coming up with answers that we don't have, because in our normal state, right, we're, we, we worry about things, we think about things, we're not sure about what's going to happen, and we need to have answers, and so what ends up happening is that because we become impatient, when we search out these, these other, other sources of spiritual power and spiritual knowledge, that we actually get 
quicker answers and more tangible answers than we would if we had waited on God himself. So, God himself warns his people to stay away from these other spiritual powers, these other spiritual sources, not because they're, they're fake, but actually because they're real. Not because they're false, but because they're true. There, there is actual power in these other spiritual sources. We learn in the Bible, because behind all of these other spiritual sources is God's ultimate enemy, Satan. Which is why, ultimately, God is trying to warn his people to stay away from these other spiritual powers and other spiritual sources, again, not because they're false, not because they're not real, but actually because they are real, because they do have power, and ultimately the power of Satan behind them. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says this, that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So what is the Apostle Paul talking about? This very same fact. That there is a spiritual realm beyond what we see that is completely real. And so many people, perhaps innocently, maybe not maliciously or deviously, perhaps just innocently playing with a Ouija board or reading their horoscopes to see what's going to happen in the next couple months, perhaps innocently, but the fact of the matter is that Paul reinforces what Isaiah is saying, which is there is a spiritual realm with real spiritual power that can really draw people away from the kingdom of God closer into the kingdom of darkness. And as long as we are surrounded by this darkness or or seeking out this darkness, we will never find what we're looking for until, until we see the light of Jesus. So behind all of those spiritual powers and spiritual forces, the biblical conviction is that all of that leads to a greater sense of darkness, which is why Isaiah is trying to warn the people of God to stay away from that. But he talks about what will bring light, and ultimately that's only Jesus himself, who he declares to be the Prince of Peace. So when the prophet Isaiah is talking about how this Messiah figure is going to bring about a sense of peace to the world, he is talking about a peace both, both on, the, on the micro level and also on the macro level, which is if we share the conviction that, that God himself created the entire world, then he will bring about a peace that permeates the entire world, which means on all levels of existence, there will be a greater sense of peace. So on the micro level or or the individual level, we see that when God encounters his people, that his people experience a greater sense of peace. So I'll just share a quick example for myself. And the example really is about why I'm a pastor, why, why I'm in full-time ministry. Some of you may know this story, but I'll make a long story short, but in 2008, I had a, a very spiritual, very 
what you might call charismatic experience, encountering the Holy Spirit in a way that I had never encountered the Holy Spirit before. And in this uh, really, really intense prayer time, the, the Holy Spirit was really helping me pray something that I was not willing to pray on my own. So for those of you who are familiar with Romans 8.26, Romans 8.26 talks about how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and helps us pray in ways that we should, but we can't. And for me at the time, I was not able to pray a prayer of full surrender. I had uh, preconceived notions about what I wanted to do with my life, about what kind of career I wanted to have, about where I wanted to go. And on my own, I couldn't actually lay that before God and say, do with me as you will. I couldn't do it by myself. So God, in his grace and in his mercy, facilitated this encounter with the Holy Spirit that still to this day I can't fully explain in words. But on the one hand, completely ripped my, my dreams of what I wanted to do in my, with my life away from me and at the very same time gave me a peace that I couldn't explain. A peace that, as uh, Philippians talks about, a peace that transcends understanding. So up until that point, I had experienced, I think, certain levels of, of peace in my life. Growing up in the church, I felt like, sure, God, God gave me a sense of peace about making certain decisions, about certain directions in life, certain decisions I made. But on that day in, in 2008, I experienced the peace of God that transcends understanding in a way that I had never done before, ever. And it was the strangest thing because I always figured that if I could, ne if I could never fulfill my life in the way that I wanted it to, if God really sh like ripped that, that dream that career away from me, then probably I would feel bitterness, I would feel anger, I would feel frustration, I would question, like, God, why? That would have been my natural reaction. But for some reason, that day in 2008, I had what was most dear to my heart ripped away and at the same time had a peace that filled my heart that I just, still to this day, I can't fully explain. But it completely was a peace that transcended my rational understanding of, of my life. So, on, on the micro level, right, when God meets us face to face, He can absolutely give us a peace that is it's, it's inexplicable. We, we can't explain it. And for me, in 2008, I experienced that on, on, the, on the highest level, on the deepest level. So the Prince of Peace, right, bringing a, a peace that on the one hand, we can experience on the individual level, that also on the other hand, we experience what you might call on, on the macro level, on, on, on the worldly level. So once again, in chapter 9, verse 6, the, the most famous part of this prophecy Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So this, this prophecy talking about the Messiah, right? The government will be on his shoulders. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So talking about this Prince of Peace, talking about this Messiah, very clearly we're talking about a government being established. So on the one hand, some of us may say or have this perspective or perhaps at the very least heard of this perspective that religion and politics, they don't mix. So if you have a certain religious perspective and you have a certain political perspective, you can have them, but you should probably keep them separate because religion, politics, you know, it's very controversial. People have very strong opinions on, on religion and politics, so it kind of makes sense not, not to mix those things. But we see in the prophet Isaiah that actually we can't do that because what, what is politics but government? It's governing. So Jesus' message of what the Messiah will do when the Messiah comes in all of its fullness and brings the kingdom of God is political. Jesus was and is the most uniquely political leader who also reveals himself to be God himself. He's a political leader. He's establishing a government that will have no end. The government will be on his shoulders. So very clearly, the message of Jesus involves a political message. It's very political. Only, of course, Jesus at the same time subverts and undermines people's understanding of what it means to be a political leader at the same time. So when we think about politics and we think about different political leaders, we generally think of, okay, this person is, is above us and this person has authority over us. This person rules over us in a certain sense. So Jesus is a political leader, but not in the sense that we might anticipate or expect. Right? Which is why Jesus' message was so confusing to the Jewish people at the time, and still confusing for many of us today, which is, if he is going to be a political leader and establish this kingdom and establish this government, then he probably would have done it in the way that Caesar did or in the way that the President of the United States might do today, where he uses the government and authority over people. But we see in the message of Jesus that although he establishes government, and he's a political leader in a very real sense, he uses his power and authority not over people, but under people. Which is why Jesus himself says that he came not to be served, but to serve. Not to use his power and authority and lord it over people, but to use it to serve and to love people in a way that completely subverts our understanding of what it means to be a political leader. So, in Jesus, 
this leader, in other words, is what you might call an, an unimpeachable leader. He's a, a leader in which there are no character flaws, in which he rules with complete justice and righteousness, right? which is exactly what Isaiah is saying, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This leader is unimpeachable. His way of establishing God's justice and peace on the earth, it's completely different. Yes, he's a political leader, but not a political leader in the traditional sense. So what does this mean for us today? Our, our peace. The question is, where does our real sense of peace come from? When we're going through the most difficult of circumstances in our life, whether it's thinking about the political atmosphere or things in our life on a very personal level, where is our peace coming from? If we're experiencing peace at all, we might be staying up in the middle of night, worrying about things, anxious about certain things, and maybe we're not experiencing peace at all. But if we are experiencing peace, the question is, where is it coming from? Because if we're anything like the people of God in Isaiah's time, we might very well be tempted to look for other spiritual powers, other spiritual sources which are completely real and may provide some real answers for us, but ultimately lead us into a greater sense of darkness. So the prophet Isaiah is, is exhorting us not to inquire of anyone else other than God himself. Because if Jesus is completely true in what he's saying, in establishing himself as the Prince of Peace and establishing a government that will be on his shoulders, that will rule and reign with justice and righteousness now and forevermore, then only he has the peace that we're actually looking for. Christmas, right, the birth of Jesus is all about the coming of the world's true king, and the world's true leader. It's not a president. It's not a prime minister. It's not a Caesar. It's a savior. And this picture of the Prince of Peace reading is not just in heaven, but it's here. This is the, the crux of the gospel, which is this establishment of the government, the government being on his shoulders, this new government ruling with complete justice and righteousness is not just something that's in heaven when we pass away, but that the kingdom of God is here and now. That because Jesus was born, we experience this government. We experience this love. We experience this peace. Yes, not in all of its fullness when we are in heaven but we do experience a taste of it here and now. Here and now. Especially as we think about and meditate on, on Jesus himself. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the news that the kingdom of God is here. It's here. We can experience peace here and now. We pray, God, for the times that we have been impatient and frustrated at times. 
God, for the times that we have looked for our peace in anything or anyone except Jesus, God, we repent of that. We want to turn back to you. We want to experience a peace that nothing or no one else can give us. God, would you remind us during this Christmas season that there is good news, that there is a gift in Jesus. God, we pray that as we experience this Christmas season that we can experience a new sense of peace. And we pray, Lord, that that peace would give us an anchor, a stability, and a love that nothing else can give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.